We are actually in our second week in the series called Known. And uh, I want to kind of kick that off by saying something very basic to you, which I, I hope that you, if nothing else, get as we've been uh, studying, is that um, God knows you intimately um, in ways that we don't even fully understand God knows us. I would even argue in ways that we don't know ourselves, God knows us. And, uh, and that's a profound truth, especially if you look at the gospel of Jesus who died to forgive our sins. We recognize that in Christ we are fully, fully known. Um, we have this conviction in the Bible church that you matter to God. And I don't mean you matter to God in the way that like you can fill a church or you can do a service or, or you can, you know, um, help the world. But you matter to God simply because you are. Simply because you're his. I don't know if we often see in one another, we look one another in the eye, if we see God's own image, if we recognize the value in those that he's put into our lives. Um, but I think it's a very high value and we are, we are known by him in every way. I told you last week we're going to be studying Psalm 139. That kind of gives us our structure for the series. And um, we started with the idea of that we're known fully by God. I don't know if that affected you this week or not. You know, for me, and I was telling someone before service, for me, one thing that really profoundly affected me was the recognition, because we believe the gospel of Jesus, that he died to forgive our sins. But one thing that really profoundly affected me this week is as I considered the fact that, I, that God has searched me and, and knows me, that he knows all of my sin before I ever do anything. He knows every sin. And I don't know what it is about that, about that reality for me in my life, but, but um, I was overwhelmed by that, re that, that, that thought this week, that he fully knew me. And yet, in spite of fully knowing me, knowing my sinfulness, knowing my brokenness, in that full knowledge, he sent his son to die to forgive my sin. There's nothing more profound or radical in this world that you will hear than the truth of that message. And so, um, out of that idea, we recognize a lot of our life. And, and the psalmist today re records um, a, resp a response that we often have to the good news of God's knowledge of all of us. I'm going to ask that you would uh, pray with me, as we always do as we enter into God's word. And we're going to ask him to reveal himself to us. We need to hear from him today. So would you join me in prayer? Uh, Father God, we've come here to sing your praise, uh, to dedicate grace unto you, uh, to gather in your name, and to know you more fully, Father. And yet we, we recognize that we can do none of these works ourselves, that we are completely and um, um, totally dependent upon you, upon your revelation, upon your truth in our lives. Father, we don't want to be um, pretend Christians. We want to be real Christ followers in our life. So today we're going to ask that you would instruct us deeply, um, that your Holy Spirit would teach us the truth of Scripture, that you would, um, you know, just uh, guide my words, that they would be glorifying to you and, and, you know, just shape the ears of every person. Your son said, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Would you help us to hear today your great message for us? And then may we um, continue to follow you, uh, whatever comes, Father. We give you thanks and praise for the work you're doing. Uh, you alone can do it. And for, for no, no other reason than that, for who you are, we give you praise today. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to look, today we're, we're talking about um, known to run. And we're going to look at uh, Psalm 139 and uh, later Luke 15. We won't be flipping back and forth today, so if that wore you out last week, you're, you're in a good place. Uh, but if you can turn to Psalm 139, that would be great. Maybe you're already there. And we're going to pick up where we left off last week, which is in verse 7. 
verse 7 of Psalm 139. David the psalmist, this is King David writing a song to God. And, and the first thing he wrote about was the fact that God knew him fully. But I think it's striking that the second thing, after he says such knowledge is too wonderful for me, then in verse 7 he says this, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? David says this, If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, you, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Now look at verse 11 with me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even in the darkness will not be dark to you. The light will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. I think it's really interesting that after David talks about how he is known by God, how he is um, um, fully understood, that, full, that God has fully entered into David's life, that at that moment, he says, where can I go to flee from you? Where can I go to run from you? I think that's interesting because you wouldn't think, and you wouldn't think that having been known by God, that the immediate response would be to run away. To run away. I mean, whom, whom do you run away from normally? You know? I always think when I hear run away, I, I instantly think of the Monty Python and the Holy Grail thing, you know? It always comes to mind. I apologize. That's probably sacrilegious, but you know it does. It's like, run away! You know what I mean? Like, like someone's after you. Run away! There's an enemy that's going to kill you. Run away! But how crazy is it that this God whom, who loves us so much, the God who made us, that in our sinfulness, our tendency is to immediately want to flee from him. The only one that can save us. Indeed, to, to run away. If you're, I don't know if you're in a family group or not, but we were, we're, I'm in a family group, and our group met. And one of the things we talked about was how um, this idea of being hemmed in by God was kind of overwhelming. This idea, and now, as if to be hemmed in, because the hemmed in in the first few years just sounded like it was this kind of small space where God's trying to capture you in grace and love you. But here, then David opens up into the entire universe and starts to tell the story of God's um, omniscience and omnipresence, his sovereignty. Where can I go where your spirit doesn't exist? Where can I go to flee from your presence, David says. We were talking about this little space of being hemmed into God, but now David says, even if I'm not hemmed in and I'm running away from you, you're there. We get this great view of the magnitude. I love the song this morning that we sang, how, how wide and deep is the love of God. I mean, how far. God's love reaches for his people. And David says the same thing here in this psalm. He not only talks about, because you could think about him just saying, if I run away, like, like run down the street, you know what I mean? Um, and we're going to talk more about Tennessee to run in a minute. But he actually gets even bigger. David says, if I go to the heavens, you are there. Like, and David, the heavens are the heavens. The heavens are where God is. The heavens are this, you know, great other world. And he's like, no matter where I go, you're there. And as if that isn't enough, then David says, and if I lay down um, in the depths, you are there. The interesting thing about the depths is it's Sheol, right? It's a place that was known to the Hebrews. This is underworld. 
It's this place of darkness, of brokenness, of not understanding, of unenlightenment. And David says, if you go to the, you know, this deep, deep place where you think you're far from God, even there, he says, you are. You see that in verse 8. He says, if I rise on the wings of the dawn, man, I love poetic words. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, man, if I could fly into the sun in the morning, even there you're with me, right? And then he says, if I cross to the far side of the sea, this reminds me of like to the east, to the west. Like no matter where I go, David says, no matter if I go to where the sun rises or I flee across the sea, if I run, I mean, the Bible is full of people who are running from God. If you don't believe, read your Bible. The Bible is full of people who are running from God. And when they would show up, God was there before them. Ready for them, waiting for them. Where can I go, he says, if I rise in the wings of the dawn or if I settle on the far side? Even there, your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me, what's it say, fast. That's a striking thing because I don't know how you read that. When I read David saying, where can I go to flee from you? It's not like, we can read that last part, even there your hand will hold me, your hand will guide me. But it's not like David wants his guidance. It doesn't sound to me that way. He doesn't even want God to hold him fast. But God's holding him fast anyway. No matter where he goes, no matter what he does, God has a grip on David's life. And again, as if just the physical world is enough, isn't enough to be amazed by, that there's no place, I want you to get this, no place you can go to flee from God. And that's not a threat, that's, a, that's like a threat of love. There's no place you can go where his love won't reach you. Even if, if that's enough, then, then David says this, even the darkness won't hide me. Even the darkness won't hide me. And he means like full black, like all dark, can't see your hand in front of your face kind of darkness. He says, even there, your darkness can't hide me. Look at it in verse 11. Even if I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light will become as night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. Look at what the word says. The night will shine like the day, for the darkness is as light to you. The night will shine like a day. We talked last week about how everything this whisper will be made known, everything done in secret will be made public. And this idea that there's nothing unknown to God. But that's good news. That means even in the darkest pit, it's not unknown to God. No matter where you're at in your life or your journey, no matter where you've gotten to through your own choices, doing it without God, there's no place you can go that His presence isn't there for you. And that, that's an amazing truth. You might think, well, now what in the world has happened with a psalmist like David, whenever he would write about God and he would say, you know me, and when I run from you, you're ahead of me. Well, what is it in David's life that he would ever flee from God, right? To understand that more fully, I think we need to go back to Genesis. And so I'm going to ask you to turn this morning to Genesis chapter 3. And we're just going to read a few verses from Genesis. If you're, if you're not familiar with the Bible, you might know that Genesis is the creation narrative. It tells the story of how the world came to be. It was spoken into existence for God's good pleasure. We were made in his image, and all the creation was made to be enjoyed by his people. Okay, and so we're going to pick it up, actually, I think in verse, um, let me check here, in verse 8 of Genesis 3. So this comes after the garden, everything is beautiful, and then after this sinful act has happened, and you probably know that, it's world known, I mean, this, this apple 
eating thing that happens, right? This fruit eating, I should say, not really apple. We make that up. This idea that we did what we weren't supposed to do. God said, you can do anything, don't do that. The one rule we had to follow, the one rule, don't do that, we did that. That's what happened. And in that moment, we chose to be sin-filled. We were sin-filled people. So after this choice, in verse 8, this is what the word records. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God, that's Yahweh, the creator God, as he was walking through the garden in the cool of the day, and it has and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? The man answered this way, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and so I hid. And then God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not, not to eat from? This idea that... Um, we have a tendency to run away from God in our sin. And I think even whenever we recognize in David's psalm that that's what he's talking about, that we have a tendency to run away from God in our sin. What's striking about this narrative we hear in Genesis is there's no, there's no um, preconceived ideas of what it should look like when we, when we fail to be obedient to God, when we fail to listen to God's good word for us, right? And, and we see in our ancestors, Adam and Eve, this instinctual um, sense that they should run and hide from the very God who made them. That's what the word says, Yahweh God who made them, that they should run away from God. I love that, um, that he says here, um, uh, God called to the man, where are you? Where are, as if God didn't know uh, where he was. And this is his response. I was afraid, so I hid. I was afraid, and so I hid. I think that that is still true today. Um, we have a tendency to run when we're, when we're in sin. We have a tendency to flee from God. And the reason that the psalm is a great piece of good news is that God goes ahead of us even when we're fleeing in our own sinfulness. He's there ahead of us. Uh, but look what drives it. Fear. And not like the holy reverent fear, not the fear of a submissive person, but the fear of one who's afraid of being punished. I was afraid, Adam, the son of God, Adam. I was afraid, so I hid. A um, couple things that I, I want, so, so I want you to hear that first, is that sin often makes us want to run away from God. That's what happens in our life. Many times, and I'm not saying that as, by the way, as a sinless guy talking to you. I'm saying it in myself. Like, that's, you know, it, whenever I'm stuck in sin, I'm just like, I don't want to be anywhere near God in my sin. I just feel it. And so the tendency to want to run away, to stay away. I'll tell you a few ways this manifests itself. We talk in this series about being known, right? Being known. Um, we often disassociate ourselves from other people who claim, who claim to believe in God. I'll say that, right? Who, who, who who are going to hold us to any kind of account for our behavior. We have a tendency that the moment that, that it starts to get too hot, too serious, too deep, too real, we start to bail out and we start to make excuses. Well, we can't, we can't be there today because we got some things to take care of. We can't, oh, I can't take your call right now because I'm really busy. But the truth is that we are in a sin that we are just afraid of and we're running from God. And many times then running from his people who could help us uh, to reveal that sin in our lives. I was afraid, and so I hid. 
So sin often makes us run away. I want to compare a couple of verses with you. Um, the first is um, from, we're going to go back to uh, verse 25 of chapter 2. I want you to see this striking thing about God's creation. It says, the man and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. So this is where they started. They're naked and felt no shame. And then if you jump ahead to verses three, uh, chapter 3, verse 10, um, the man says, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. That's what sin does. That's what sin does. It takes something that's really beautiful and good and it twists it to the point that you actually uh, um, flee from God with it. You run away from God. And I think that's striking that those, those two things happen. Uh, the second thing that happens often when we sin and we, we flee from God is we try to make a bandage for it. And now um, Adam and Eve we see here, if we look at verse 7, you back up one verse and three verse Chapter 3, verse 7, it says this, The eyes of both of them, that is Adam and Eve, were opened, and they realized that they were naked, and so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So what happens whenever they're known in their sin, whenever they're exposed, is they try to cover up. They try to pretend. They try to make it okay. They try to look good enough, act good enough, pretend. As a matter of fact, what's striking is that you have this image that they sewed fig leaves for themselves and they went and they hid in the bushes. It's like camouflage. You know, we were out playing paintball. You know, you try to blend in. You're trying not to be noticed, not to be seen by who? The God who made you, the God who knows you. And, it, and so here they are and they're, they're hiding. They're hiding from God. I point that out, by the way, not just to say that, boy, look, they made clothes for themselves, but what we have here then at the end of this whole ordeal, because there's all kinds of implications for our sin, there's all kinds of results in our lives because of our sinfulness. But in the end of all of it, I want you to look at chapter 3, verse 21. So they have these kind of hand-stitched clothes. And uh, this is what verse 21 records. Yahweh God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. See, there's this reality that we want to cover ourselves up, you know. We want to cover up our own sin. We want to pretend it's not that bad. We want to ex make excuses for it, you know, like, I'll do better next time. And God's like, your garments aren't working. And then, and this is striking, in the creation narrative, whenever nothing has died, he kills one of his animals and he covers his people with those animals, right? I mean, there's something big happening here. I can't, I can't, those two verses are crazy. That instead of just letting people suffer in their fakeness, he's like, I'm going to really cover you in something that's going to work. The fig leaves aren't going to last. We see in that this, this um, foreshadowing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This foreshadowing of a sacrifice that's worthy to cover the sins of the world. We read that verse this morning in the dedication. We want to cover ourselves, but truly we need God to cover us in our, in our sin. So that, that's the first couple of things that we have a tendency to run, and we have a tendency to run away from God. Now I want to give you kind of three pictures of, of possibilities of what this running looks like when we're known by God, okay? And the first picture is that, that we could run away from God, that we would flee from him. But the second picture that I want to give to you is that we can run toward God. And we're going to turn to, now to the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to turn to Luke chapter um, 15. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry, chapter 8. <laughs> I knew I was going to do that. Chapter 8 of Luke. I apologize. Um, 
chapter 8 of Luke is, it tells this amazing story about a woman who is so filled with faith that she runs to Jesus. That she's, she's so believing that Jesus can do something that no one else can do that she runs to him in her life. And this is what I want to encourage you with today. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick it up and uh, I'll read from verse 40. Now when Jesus w- had returned, a crowd welcomed him and, uh, for they're all expecting him. I actually want to skip down now to verse 42, the part, last part of 42. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. This sounds like last week, right? They were pressing in all around him. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman who was, who was subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her, was there. She came up behind him and she touched the edge of his cloak. And immediately her bleeding stopped. And I just want to stop there. You've probably heard this. There's so many ways to talk about this particular text. But what I love is that they were expecting Jesus to be in the area. And when she heard that he was going to be there, that she ran to him. Matter of fact, um, I love that in, in the Gospel of Mark, the same thing is recorded. And it says, she reached out and touched the edges of his cloak. You know, records the same idea that people are crushing in on Jesus. That everyone wants to be near Jesus. But here's one person, and I, I kind of call this like holy desperation, that in her, in her and, I, and you're going to maybe be upset, in her sinfulness, you see, because the, ble- the bleeding problem she had was a physical manifestation. I'm not saying, but, I, but I'm saying that her ultimate need was salvation, was purity. As a matter of fact, the big thing about her bleeding was that she was untouchable in her culture. All those people that she had pressed through the crowd to get to Jesus, if they had known, they would have made a way for her. They wouldn't have been anywhere near this lady. But in her desperation for a solution to her problem, she runs to Jesus through this crowd and she smashes up in there and she strains to reach his cloak just to touch him with the hope that she could be healed. And see, this is a whole different idea of running. I once heard a a great um, um, pastor, speaker, I don't know, and I couldn't tell you who he was, but he said, the biggest marker you will have in your life as a Christian, the biggest indicator is whether you run away from God or toward God in your sin. And I was like, right. We all sin. And when you sin, do you have a tendency to flee from God, to hide it, to mask it in false religion, to pretend that it's not the truth of who you are? Or you just say, Lord, you know me fully, you see all my wicked ways, and you flee to Jesus for a solution. Run to him. And just to touch him. Hoping he can save you. This is what we see here. A lady who runs to Jesus. As a matter of fact, in the Gospel of Mark, it says that she had tried all the world's solutions, but things had only gotten worse. There had been no improvement. Her condition had degraded. And everything that she had wanted was lost until she met Jesus. And this changes everything. So that's the second view I want you to see. You, you can run away from God in sin. You can run toward Jesus in sin. But the third is even more incredible. And this is the gospel message, really. Because the third, and we're going to look at Luke chapter 15 together. The third actually says that it's not much about us running toward Jesus Um, but about a God who runs to us. Being fully known that God would run to us. Being fully sinful 
that God would run to us. I want to read the first two verses of 15. The entire chapter of, of, of Luke 15 is about how precious God's people are to him. How near to his heart that you all are. If you ever, ever, ever don't think you matter to God, I hope you would consider what, what Jesus says in Luke 15. You are a treasure to God. You are loved by God. And that in and of itself creates all of your value because of who loves you. Look at 15 verses 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear him. Who? Jesus. Drawing near to him, just like the crowds we've seen. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Look at the quote. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. This is the charge. And to this charge of being one who would eat with a sinner, who would welcome him into, into a, a table with him, he tells three stories. And it goes like this. A lost coin. I'm sorry. Um, a, a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. You've heard these before. The one sheep strays away. And he chases it out to the most dangerous places to get it back because it's precious. It's his sheep. The lost coin lady sweeps the whole house and she gets the lamp and she's looking everywhere. Where can I find the lost coin? Because it's precious and it's valuable. And then the third is the lost son. The lost son is a story about a young man who had a great inheritance. He, 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 he had nothing to worry about in life. He had everything he possibly could need. And in a moment of full rebellion, he said, just give me what's mine so I can leave. And he took what, what, what was given to him, and he left, and he squandered it. And the word goes through great detail about the places he went and what he did and the way he just kind of wasted everything that God had poured into him. Threw it away like it was worthless. And I want to pick up the story there. After coming to the end of himself, after coming to the end of himself, he has to contend with them. His desperation for his father again. Look at what it says in verse 17. Chapter 15 of Luke, verse 17. When this young man came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. Now look at what he says. I will set out. I will go back to my father. And I will say to him. I want you just to see that. He's like, I, I'm, I'm so broken. I'm so far from where I need to be. Th this is silly. I'm going to go back. And I want you to see that he says, everything's what I'm going to do. I'm going to turn to God. I'm going to run back to the Father. I'm going to confess my sin. I'm going to see if he'll take me back. You see it? I'm going to say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. And so here's his plan. If I turn, that's kind of what I was talking to you about, right? If I turn back, if I run to Jesus, if I turn to the Father, if I confess, maybe he'll take me back of one of his own. Maybe he'll receive me. It says, so he got up and he went. But this is the craziest thing. Jesus is talking about why he's eating with sinners. Why? Why is he welcoming them to his table? And he says this, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him 
and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son. And he threw his arms around his son. And he kissed him. This is the picture we get of God in the gospel. A God who loves us so much that he is not complacent. He's not satisfied to sit and wait for us to come back. Jesus came and he preached, repent, the kingdom of God is near, right? Repent means to turn around, but man, in that turning around, God is after you. He is running to you, and that is radical because he knows us. I mean, I want you to understand that from the story. The father knows how much squandering the son did. The father knows how, how he tried so hard to leave, to get away. But the moment the son turns, he runs Tim Keller wrote a great book called Prodigal God about this. We call this story the prodigal son. He says, no, it's the prodigal God. It's the God who runs to his people in desperation. Not his, but theirs. It's the God who hears the cries of those who are desperate for a solution and turn to him, and he runs to us, and he saves us. You know the rest of the story, right? He goes and he kisses his son. His son starts to say, I've sinned against you. You know, and he's like, hey, you're home. And he turns around and comes back and he says, let's have a big party. And we know the other son who's been there the whole time is upset. We know all that. But I want to I finish with this thought, and I want you to not miss it. Because we can kind of pick on one or the other. But here, this is what the father says at the end to the older son who stayed. In verse 31, he says, my son, you're always with me. And everything that I have is yours. Everything. That it was all given to both sons. There's no lack. There's no lack in God. So those are the three pictures that I want you to think about today. And, and as, you're, as, you, as you contemplate being fully known by God, the idea that you can run away, the idea that you can run to Jesus, or the truth that when you turn, he runs to you. He runs to us and saves us. I know some of you are here today and you're in bad situations. I know it. I know some of you are in a, a, a spot where you're like the darkness. You feel like the darkness is surrounding you. Or, or, or you feel like you're just lost. You don't know what's next in your life. And I want to, to convey to you that the gospel is the message of a God who comes to you in your darkness and lostness. He's not a God who waits for you to find the light. He runs to you in your dark place to save you. If only you would turn to him. I'm going to encourage you this morning, if you're here, just turn to Jesus. Not in like a fake, churchy, religious kind of way, but in a real Jesus desperation, grasping the fringes of his cloak. I need you to save me. Wait. He will do that work for his glory. Will you please pray with me? Father God, we thank you for the truth of your gospel. That you love us so much that you sent your son to die, to cover all of our sins, and not in our really crappy homemade clothes, but in your beautiful, pure, holy, righteous clothing. May you be glorified as we come here in Jesus' name. I pray for all of my friends who are here who don't know you, that they would believe that the gospel is for them, that they would believe that no matter how far they are from you, to turn and you're there that you meet us right in our sin, and you deliver us from it, that you cover and you've paid for the, the price for all the sin. 
And Father God, I pray that we would believe the story of a God who runs to us, that we would turn to Jesus in our times of need, that we would turn to Jesus in our times of celebration, that indeed, that that would be the defining fact of our lives, that no matter what comes good or bad, that we always turn to Jesus, that we always come back to relationship with you, that the tendency we have to claim other righteousness or other holiness would be thrown away, and we would say, it's just Jesus. Jesus makes me worthy and holy. May you do that work amongst your people. And may we always, always run to you. We ask that you would do this in Jesus' name today. Amen. We're going we're gonna to stand and sing a, a final response song today. Um, if, I want to encourage you that if you had something in your life right now and you, you can't stand and sing or you can just stand and fake like you're singing, but talk to God about what's going on in your life. Jesus is ready and available to you right now. And uh, I'll come up in a moment after the song and we'll close the service.